Are you scared? Follow me into the darkness as I review horror films of the past and present. Then open your minds as I share with you real paranormal experiences that myself and others have encountered. I'm Mr. Steve, and welcome to my horror section. Today we follow a group of teenagers to a Halloween party in an abandoned funeral home in the 1988 film Night of the Demons. Then on Paranormal Encounters, a submission from a dear friend tells the tales of a bridge haunted by a witch in Pennsylvania and the devil picks on a little boy in the basement. (laughs) Part 1. Night of the Demons Demon A supernatural being, typically associated with evil, prevalent historically in religion, occultism, literature, fiction, mythology, and folklore. Blessed be the sinners, for the Day of Atonement is at hand. Night of the Demons was released on September 9th in 1988, which just so happens to be my father's birthday. It was directed by Kevin S. Tenney, who has written and directed two other favorites of mine, Witchboard and Witchboard 2. Angela is throwing a party at an old abandoned funeral parlor once owned by the Hull family. However, Hull House has a dark and ancient past, a past that dips back to Native American times and quite possibly further back than that. An underground stream surrounds the land to keep the evil spirits contained. Legend has it that demons cannot cross flowing water. The Hull family that erected the funeral home met an untimely demise as old man Hull went crazy, or more than likely possessed by demons, killed his family and then committed suicide. After that tragedy, the house has sat empty for years, until a group of sex-crazed teens decided to party there on Halloween night. And no Halloween party would be complete without trying to have a chat with the dead, right? You know, a little seance here, Ouija board... Bloody Mary, maybe? This group decides to go with a past life seance. Now, they didn't mean to, but they jiggled the crib and woke up a nasty-looking demon. One by one, our teens get possessed and go after the innocent Judy. Probably because she's the only one in this group keeping her knees together. Jeez, everybody picks on the goody-two-shoes. Now, Judy and Roger, the only good boy in the group, have to survive this night of horror. This film was the perfect blend of being so campy and actually scary. This is what was so precious and iconic about many horror films of the 80s. Some of them were so much fun and at the same time could scare the piss out of you. And that's exactly what this movie did. I remember showing this to my brother when he was way too young. The poor kid hid under the dining room table and peed himself. Whoops. I was very young when I saw this movie for the first time and it traumatized me as well. I refused to watch it again until I was in my teen years. So first, let me talk about what made this movie scary. The thought of demons in general is horrifying to me, so we got a leg up there, right there. Uh, The possessed teens, especially Angela, were very scary looking. Major props to the makeup crew for doing a very authentic and realistic looking job. Also, Hall House itself was very fear-inducing. 
So run down looking, boarded up, and very dark and dank. The lighting was great, uh, keeping the house extremely dark, using very little lighting is a surefire way to scare people. One of the most memorable scary moments for me that ended up ruining long hallways for me was when Angela comes floating out of the darkness down the hallway towards the camera in her black wedding dress with her face all demonized. Also, during the past life seance, when we first see the demon in its true form in the mirror, is another chilling moment. I loved the demon voice. Uh, I actually have it down to a T. Let me show you. Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party has just begun. <laughs> if gore is what spooks you, this movie has plenty of it, but not over the top. Lots of blood, burned flesh, and hacked off body parts. Lene Quigley, a scream queen icon uh, back in the 80s, played Suzanne, who while possessed pushes her thumbs through the eyes of one of the party boys. Very gruesome. She also has this iconic scene where she is drawing on her breast with lipstick and pushes the lipstick container into her nipple where it just disappears. Again, major makeup genius there. It's all done in a single shot, and it is very convincing looking. Which leads me into all the gratuitous female nudity found in this feature. I am no prude, nude is natural, and I feel the human body is a work of art that should be celebrated, not shamed. Mr. Tenney knew that sex sells, especially in the horror films of the 80s. Plenty of boobs, buns, and bush to go around in this flick. You know... Wouldn't hurt to chuck a naked man or two in there from time to time. Just saying, you know, coming from your gay horror host and fairy of terror here. As Randy revealed in the movie Scream, there are rules to surviving a horror movie. And one of those is sex equals death. Every one of our little hormonal teens that did a little naked wrestling in this movie died and was taken over by demons. We must learn from this, my children. <laughs> Now, there has always been a correlation between heavy metal, rock music, and horror films. I guess the taboo of both art forms is, kind of brings them together in this perfect marriage. Angela's very mesmerizing dance to Stigmata Martyr by Bajas, I apologize if I butchered that name, was a very spooky and metal moment in the film. I'd love to see bands like In This Moment, Enomine, Ramstein, and Five Finger Death Punch do more collaborating in horror films. Rock legend Rob Zombie made the transition in the world of horror films, so why not Maria Brink? In This Moment is one of my all-time favorite bands. Their music is a great blend of dark tones, powerful instrumentals, and uplifting lyrics, actually. I think if given half the chance, they would make an amazing horror film or two. Now, while this movie was actually scary, it was also very corny and very funny. Uh, I grew up in a big party hard kind of family, and I wouldn't trade them for anything. When we get together, it's nothing but laughs, drinks, swearing, and complete chaos. Much like the fun group of teens raising demons up in here. Stooge reminds me so much of my Uncle Bobby, a loud, energetic, potty mouth troublemaker with a heart of gold underneath. There were so many funny lines, uh, like Suzanne distracting the party store workers 
and remaining bent over showing her undies while Angela robbed the place blind of its candy and party goods, she stands up and says, Do you guys have any sour balls? Why, sure we do. Too bad, I bet you don't get many blowjobs. <laughs> this movie was full of funny quips like that, and it actually helped the scare factor when you get the audience laughing only to then make them scream in the next scene. I love the animated opening of this film, uh, a cartoon walkthrough of Hull House to a great little musical tune was a lot of fun. There was also a nice little shout out to Evil Dead in this film. When the demon is awakened, it comes out of the crematorium and we see from the demon's perspective as it races through the dark house, just like the evil races through the forest and the old cabin after Bruce Campbell in Evil Dead. Not entirely sure if that was on purpose or just something I noticed. I also enjoyed the Alice in Wonderland parody. Judy, our innocent one, was dressed up as Alice, trying to get away from the demon queen Angela and her horde of demons. Very Disney-like, if I do say so myself. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen Angela's character become a bigger horror icon than, than she did. I thought she could have ranked up there with Freddy, Elvira, or Jason. I loved the character. She was scary, witty, and just had a presence about her. Night of the Demons spawned two sequels and a reboot in 2009. I loved Night of the Demons 2. 3 was eh, okay. And I was not a fan of the reboot at all, very sadly. And I had such high hopes for it too. When I heard they were doing it, I was super stoked. But if you're going to do a reboot of something, be respectful and build on the original. But, hey, you can't win them all. Rotten Tomatoes gave this movie a 36%, IMDb a 6.2 out of 10. I give Night of the Demons a respectful 7.5 out of 10. It is very entertaining, funny, and scary at the same time. A great 80s horror cult classic that will always be in my dark heart and on the top of my horror collection. Paranormal Encounters. Thanks, Angela. <laughs> this was submitted by a fan and a very dear friend of mine, Tracy. I offered Miss Tracy the option of reading her story on my show, but she decided to have me read her story instead. So, here goes. Hello, Mr. Steve. Loving your podcast. I have a few things for you. A couple movies that I love are The Lost Boys and Fright Night from the 80s. And a surprise one my niece, Deva, showed me is Trick or Treat. I think I have a real fear of vampires for some reason. Salem's Lot was my first scary experience with the vampire movies. Anyway, on to my scary experience. I feel as though I had some growing up, but none that are remarkable. Other than having a three-foot bozo the clown doll after seeing the poltergeist and finding him wherever my sister and I hid him so we didn't have to look at him. There is a creepy bridge, an old stone bridge that railroad tracks go over, along a winding river in Seward, Pennsylvania, near my home that is called the Witch's Bridge. This underpass made of large, cut stone always leaked water and had green mold growing on it. There were thick trees around it, so it was always darkly shaded. There was an ice cream stand nearby, 
So often my grandparents would take my sister and I for ice cream, then we would drive under the witch's bridge, very slowly. A lot of it was my grandpa's way of scaring us as he told the tale of the angry witch who lived there and didn't like people driving under it. We did this many times, and my grandpa would always roll the windows down for effect. One evening at dusk, as we drove under the witch's bridge, I heard above us a very loud and prolonged witch's evil cackle. It sounded like it was right out of a horror movie. My grandpa and grandma looked at each other with fearful look on their faces and immediately rolled up the windows and sped off. To this day, no one knows exactly what it was or if it was someone playing a trick on us. The distinctive, loud, evil laugh I can still hear to this day, and we have no explanation for the occurrence. My second story is about my young son, Ryan. When my family moved from West Virginia to Michigan, we bought a ranch-style house with a large basement. The basement became our playroom, but had an adjacent laundry room toward the back of the basement. Basements are creepy enough already, but I felt with all the toys and by spending time having fun, it would take away from the fearfulness. However, one day, my three-year-old son Ryan was playing in the basement. I went upstairs to the kitchen that was right at the top of the stairs to start making lunch. I had done this multiple times already as we've lived in the house for two years now. I was only in the kitchen for about five minutes when Ryan came racing up the stairs as fast as he could, with a frightened look on his face. Asking what was the matter, he said to me that Satan was in the basement. I know kids have imaginations, and thought his had gotten the best of him, but I questioned, how did you know it was Satan? Ryan said, he is by the washing machine, and when I looked up, I saw him looking at me. I was afraid and looked away, but when I looked back, Satan laughed. He laughed at me because I knew he knew I was afraid. And that's when I ran upstairs. Now, imagination or not, that is pretty detailed recount of events from a three-year-old. After that, I hated doing laundry and got a creepy feeling in the back part of the basement until the day we moved. Lastly, I would like to share with you a scary poem from my childhood. It was written by James Whitcomb Riley in 1885. I've included the picture that accompanied this poem in a book published in 1947 that my grandmother had at her house. Both the poem and the picture are creepy and are a scary tale of repercussions and of disobedience and disrespect. Maybe we need more of these types of poems in today's society. Hope you enjoy. This is a very creepy poem, and it is written as if a child was speaking it, so bear with me. Oh, by the way, I'll include the picture uh, that accompanies this poem when I put this out on Facebook when my episode releases. Little orphan Annies come to our house to stay, and wash the cups and saucers up and brush the crumbs away, and shoo the chickens off the porch, and dust the hearth and sweep, and make the fire and bake the bread and earn her board and keep. And all us other children, when the supper things is done, we sat around the kitchen fire and has the mostest fun, listening to the witch tales that Annie tells about and the goblins that get you if you don't watch out.
Once they was a little boy wouldn't say his prayers, and when he went to bed at night, away upstairs. His mammy heard him holler, and his daddy heard him bawl, and when they turned the kivers down, he wasn't there at all. And they seeked him in the rafter room, and cubby hole and press, and seeked him up the chimney flue, and everywheres, I guess. But all they ever found was, this his pants and roundabout, and the goblins'll get you if you don't watch out. And one time a little girl had always laughed and grinned, and make fun of everyone and all her blood and kin. And once, when they was company, and old folks was there, she mocked em and shocked em and said she didn't care. And this is as she kicked her heels and turned to run and hide, they was two great big black things a-standing by her side. And they snatched her through the ceiling, for she knowed what she's about, and the goblins'll get you if you don't watch out. And little orphan Annie says, when the blazes blue and the lampwick sputter and the wind goes woo-woo, and you hear the crickets quit and the moon is gray and the lightning bugs in dew is all squenched away, you better mind your parents and your teachers fond and dear and cherish them at loves you and dry the orphan's tears. And help the poor and needy ones that clusters all about, or the goblins will get you if you don't watch out. That's a pretty creepy story, or poem, I should say. <laughs> Tracy, I thank you so much for sharing these tales of terror and creepy children's poem with me. I love dark poetry. In my last episode, I read an original piece of mine entitled I Just Keep Walking. Uh, which came to me actually just as I was writing my last episode. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from that, and I look forward to delivering more poems when the Spirit moves me to write them. I thank you everyone for joining me once again. On my next episode, we will be taking a look at 2005's The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is based on a true story. Ooh, those ones are always just a touch scarier than the rest. As always, I encourage you to watch this film before listening in. This movie is currently available on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Pluto TV, and on Blu-ray and DVD. Steve's Horror Section is an independently produced podcast. If you would like to become a supporter of the show and gain access to exclusive content, please visit my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash section. The music and sound effects on my show are provided by EpidemicSound.com. See you next time.